Today on the show, I speak with Montreal-based real estate entrepreneur, Mike Lambert. Now, Mike was previously an accomplished international banker with large banks in Europe, the Asia Pacific, and North America. He's generated hundreds of billions of dollars in business across the world for these banks. Today, he's a full-time with international real estate and has been acquiring properties in Canada, Latin America, and Europe. I hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did learning from him. Hey, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time today and your busy schedule to join the show. I know you have a, a, a very uh, tight, you travel a lot, and it's been, you know, you and I have been going back and forth trying to set this up. I'm very excited to jump into this call with you. So thank you, first of all, for taking the time out of your schedule to jump on this with me. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for the invitation. You know, uh, I am that kind of people I like to talk about. I'm passionate about what I'm doing, so I, I don't mind talking about it. So. Hopefully, it's going to be an interesting conversation. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think, you know, you've had, obviously, this remarkable journey. And where I want to go is the beginning, like how you started, you know, your career in this international banking, like how that kicked off and sort of what experiences set you on the path to becoming this successful international real estate entrepreneur. And maybe you can discuss any pivotal moments or opportunities um, that may have shaped your career early on in your, in your path. So basically, you know, as you, you might uh, hear or not, I was born and bred in uh, Belgium. You know, there, there were no entrepreneurs in my family or in my, um, you know, immediate circle. So basically, you know, I thought life was about, uh, you know, studying, uh, getting a job and retiring, right? <laughs> so that, that was, I got, you know, that's how I got started. So, um, so I studied um, economics and uh, management, and also I was very good with figures. So, uh, so when I graduated, it was kind of natural to go into uh, banking, and it paid well. So you know that what that that helped too. All my friends and uh, people who knew me from people from university were always telling me, you know, your Belgium is a bit too small of a country for you. You should probably go somewhere else. And actually, I, you know, I always loved, you know, traveling and uh, experiencing other cultures. So I got the opportunity uh, to, to join the um, international management development program of the biggest uh, Dutch bank at the time, maybe in Amro, who had a subsidiary in, uh, in my hometown. And so basically the, the, the deal was, the, the, so they hired me locally. And then they sent me for, to the head office in Amsterdam in Netherlands for, to do some training for a few months. Then I, I had to come back to Belgium to make them some money or to, to work for them a little bit. And then they would release me into the bank's international network, which was very extensive. So, so there would be a lot of opportunities. So I did that. Then when I actually, when I was in, um, in Amsterdam part, I did an assignment in the, in the um, credit department. And I worked, I had to give advice on a very complex uh, loan structure. And because of the amounts involved, it had to go up to the board of directors. So after, when the, the committee was done, actually, they came back to me and they said, oh, by the way, you got the congratulations from the board of directors uh, for the work that you did in, for that file. And, uh, and you should know they give that very rarely, even to very experienced people. <laughs> So naturally, when I got back to Belgium, they told me, okay, you're going to go to the, the credit department. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so, that's, uh, so that's basically where I, I started. And basically, I mean, that was, that was very interesting because I learned a lot about all, all sorts of businesses and industries. But mostly, it, I had to, it made me aware of all the possible risks that you could get in any transaction. So it, in, in a way, it made me a bit risk averse, if you want to, or at least, mm -hmm. you know, I realized how risks, how important risks are. And so that was something uh, that, that always, that has never left me, I, I should say. You know, as I was there, basically, I was giving advice about to the, to the heads of the Belgium subsidiary in the committee. I, 
credit committee about whether we should do deals or not. And there was, we, we had a, a special unit in the bank that was in um, international trade finance and they were actually doing international business. And, and what they were doing was quite complex and a bit risky. And so they, have, they constantly had issues getting their deals approved. So the, at some point, the head of the department had a good idea to poach me so that I would be the one preparing their credit files to get them approved by my ex-colleagues, basically. And, uh, and because I understood okay. that business, etc., so I did that, and that went fairly well. And then when that was done, I wasn't needed for that. So basically, my boss decided, okay, let's, let's, uh, you, sh you should do business development with me. So then I switched more to the, the, the business uh, development area. And then they decide, the bank decided to uh, actually regroup different units that were scattered across the world and bring them to the head office. So I had to go back to Amsterdam. And, but from there, actually, we, because we were the best performers, so basically we became the the center of that whole unit, and we, we got an international mandate. So from then on, basically, I spent a few years traveling and doing deals in very exotic parts of the world, from Brazil to Turkey to Asia, so some in Africa. But these were complex deals, and they were actually very difficult to get approved. So I, I learned to do whatever it takes to get things done, which is which is not very usual in banks. So it was, it was pretty entrepreneurial for, for a bank. So, so that's another thing that I, that I learned in, in my career that would help me later. And then, uh, believe it or not, I had a fantastic situation. I left everything because I decided, oh, I, I, I had been to Australia on a holiday a few years before and I loved it. And I said, oh, I'm going to move there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I left everything and then I, I went there and I, I, I got myself a job at the Japanese bank of all places there. So, so I had a double culture shock, like being in a, in a foreign country on the other side of the world and then working from Japanese people, which, which is quite different. <laughs> I should say. So, so that was a, a, a huge school for me to learn about working and actually living and working with, you know, people from, different cultures, different languages, different approaches. So, I mean, I loved Australia, but after a few years, it, it was the problem. The only thing I didn't like, it was too far for people to come and visit me. So I lost sight of pretty much everybody. And, I, you know, I, I, after a few years, I thought, you know, I need to get closer. <laughs> so, so, and um, I didn't necessarily want to go back to Europe. So I decided, uh, let, let's have, give... Um, North America try. And that was at the time of the financial crisis. So I forgot I'll never get a job in the US bank. Uh, and thankfully, Canada has the, the, you know, the strongest banking system in the world. And I spoke French and I love Montreal, which is a mix of French and English, you know, and so I moved there. I got myself actually a, a job there. And, and that was also an, a, a, a very interesting experience because the culture was very um, collegial, I should say. And when, uh, you know, when, uh, when I was, like, especially when I was uh, at ABN AMRO and, I, you know, we were doing so well that I could do whatever I wanted. And if somebody was not happy with what I was doing, a colleague, you know, the, basically my boss told them to shut up, I shouldn't say <laughs> that. He had autonomy, yeah. <laughs> You know, basically they said, you know, whenever you can be as per, you can perform as him, you can talk. Mm -hmm. So, so, okay, that was very helpful to me at the time. But the, the thing is, then when I got in another situation where I didn't have that kind of protection, I realized that, you know, my, my idea of, of a job is I get paid to do a job, make money for the bank. And that's, that's the main thing. And that's it. And I wasn't paying any attention to corporate politics and all this stuff and being popular with colleagues. And, and that didn't work there that well. So I, ha I so, so actually I, I had the chance. I had a, 
uh, uh, boss there. Uh, at the first, I thought he didn't like me, but actually it's not that he, he, he had decided he wanted to mentor me <laughs> into becoming that perfect employee who goes along with everybody, etc. So, so, you know, I, I worked a lot on my face and that's where I realized, you know, what business work is not a one-man show. It's not about me. It's about the team. It's about working with other people. It's about giving credit to others. It's about, you know, having a relationship with others, go to lunch with them and all that stuff, you know, like. So, so you know, I, in each of these uh, jobs, I, I, I learned the things that were, that ended up helping me a lot in what I'm, I did afterwards in real estate. Right. So that, so, so that's, well, that's obviously a very, very broad reach. I mean, gosh, you've been all over the, the world. I mean, I, I can't imagine just adjusting to, like you said, the cultures, the, just the, the way, the way of life it is in these different places. And it's funny how you said you get there and you start working in a, in Australia with the Japanese bank. So you're constantly colliding with these different countries and cultures and stuff. And what in this sort of world or, or in the transitions you were making from place to place spark your interest in this real estate, uh, the, the world of real estate and investing? Well, you know, uh, I mean, there's two things. What happened is I really enjoyed my banking career and I was actually very l lucky to do things that I love and working, uh, I was working with great professionals. But at some point there was a, a you know, one of these restructurings within the bank. And I realized at that time that even making lots of money for your employer makes you safer, but it was no, gar no guarantee of success or survival. So, so I decided to take an extended sabbatical in order to create a kind of a rainy day pension fund mm. for myself, just in case, right? Mm, sure. And I, I, I heard about real estate as a path to becoming, becoming financially independent, like many people. So I, I started to, you know, consider doing that. You know, then already at the time, you know, here in Canada, real estate was already very expensive. And, and as, a, as a banker, I understood that the whole model was based on cheap debt and the what we're learning today, I was a bit in advance when the chief that is gone, uh, it's not the same anymore. Right? <laughs> so, so because of the, the knowledge and, and relationships I have had developed, I actually realized there were opportunities in other countries that very few people had access to that I, for which I had the knowledge and the connection to you know, to get involved also with very little competition. So, so that was, uh, uh, you know, one way I got to, to that uh, idea. The other way, like you said, you know, I, I consider myself a, a citizen of the world. So not only I've lived and worked on several continents, you know, I have uh, three passports. I, well, depending on how you count, I speak up to five languages. On top of that, I have a, another ethnicity that is not even one of my nationalities. <laughs> so, and you know, all this travel and this interacting with people different cultures gave me a certain frame of mind whereby, you know, I can't, to me, I, I can't just look at what's happening in the, just where I am. You know, I, to me, the, the world is the playground. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. So I put two and two together. I said something I like doing. I love, to, I love traveling. I love meeting all sorts of people. And plus, I, I felt I have an advantage in, in, in doing uh, the real estate overseas rather than at home. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because I was in uh, Europe this summer in June. And one of the, like, the striking things to me was I would go anywhere. Like you would Rome, you're at the Colosseum and you, there's people selling maps and bottles, whatever. And they speak four languages. Like, like it's nothing. Like it's not even a, like here in America, the United States, I should say, I know we're <laughs> both North America, but in, in the US, uh, you'd put on your resume, oh, I'm bilingual. And that would be, is typically uh, very attractive to employers. Whereas in Europe and other countries, people, that's just the way of life. Like, you know, three, four languages is just, that's it. You know, that's all you know. You have to kind of just be uh, trilingual at the very least, I feel. I mean, it, it's not the majority. I mean, in my case, you know, the thing is in, in Belgium, you, 
you know, I'm originally French speaking. We were forced to learn Dutch from uh, the, the youngest age at school. And then, of course, you need English as the international language. So that's why in Belgium, especially, you have a lot of that speak those three. And then, you know, we had courses, so I, I chose uh, also some extra at school. And, uh, okay. But it's not, every, you know. Yeah. We, but yes, people generally speak more languages. They have to, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, a place we haven't really discussed yet that seems to, to hold a special place in what I've read about you and your real estate ventures is Mexico. And I, I was curious about, like, your, you know, again, being in all these different, you know, countries and continents, what sort of like led you to Mexico on your focus? Obviously, you know, you've done Canada, Latin America, Europe, but um, those early experiences in Mexico, like how did, how did you just, was the focus there just because you, your mindset, like you said, citizen of the world kind of mentality, and that's just where you felt like more comfortable? Well, you know, that it was actually, but first of all, I, it's, it's a country I had been to several times because actually, you know, I, with Mexico, I go back like, I don't know, like 20 years or something because I, when I used to actually do some business there at the beginning of my banking career, mm. once as soon as I moved to to Amsterdam. So I was already familiar with it. Uh, I liked it. I liked the culture, the people, and also not being based in Montreal, you know, if you want to do something overseas, well, obviously you have the US that's just, you know, very close by. But of course, I had no advantage being in the US. Americans can, you know, are, are experts in real estate. I, <laughs> you know, so I went the next country, right? Yeah, yeah. Where basically there's, there were, I saw opportunities and there, there wasn't all the, that real estate culture or, so there were a, a lot of opportunities, it was still early in the game, in, early in the days. And I guess I was, uh, I, I was a bit early for my time, but I could totally see, first of all, obviously tourism was already booming, but I could totally see the one day with technology, a lot of people would just be moving there or go there just to enjoy better weather, a more relaxed lifestyle, a much lower cost of living. You know, what if you could get a, a, an American salary with a Mexican cost of living? I mean, how, how best, how better can it be? So, you know, I, I, I figured out that's, that was going to happen one, one day. And so I saw there was a huge opportunity there. And, you know, I was still relatively early. So that was, the, these were basically the main, uh, the main reasons. And I had uh, yeah, I forgot an important point through the business I was do, doing there. I had connections, mm. with, which, which actually was one of the most important things because it gave me access to special deals. And that's how I, I you know, I started. So, uh, yeah, so it was a, a few factors combined. Yeah, so the proximity of you know leapfrogging America, you know, the U.S., and you know having some connections and and just a lower barrier to entry, sort of being a blank canvas that you saw. But I, I you know, in, in in I think you've mentioned uh, in, in what I've read challenges associated with uh, purchasing properties, sort of like lack of financing, pre-construction risks. Can you elaborate, like? any challenges in, in, in property development projects and, and what sort of innovations or, or um, insights that you would bring to the table or have brought to the table? Actually, it's, you know, buying uh, property in Mexico for, is not that exotic for Americans. I mean, plenty of people do it and have done it for a long time. The thing is, the, the, the most, the better deals are pre-construction because obviously whether you're if you're an investor or even a lifestyle buyer what will make a, a, a huge difference in the return you make is how much you pay and especially so if you don't use financing or even if you do and you can actually get a much lower price if you buy pre-construction mm. but so a lot of people do it. Now the and then you get a brand new property, by the way, too. Okay, which that helps. doesn't hurt. <laughs> but the thing is, and sometimes people don't realize there are actually substantial 
risks associated with that. And for that reason, a lot of people will never do it. Because basically the way it works, it's not like in the US or Canada where you put 5% down and then you pay the rest upon delivery. Here, basically, you have to pay most, if not all of it, before it gets delivered to you. So the, the main uh, risks that are associated with that, of course, is, you know, the, the developer. If the developer is dishonest, he, you know, he might uh, disappear, uh, go to South America with your money. <laughs> or, or, or he might buy a Ferrari with it. And uh, this is actually not a joke. That wow, that happened. happened. Oh, my gosh. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, so that's... Number one. Now, assuming he's honest, then actually the, because, I mean, hopefully the majority are, but, but then the, the more important issue with the developer risk is that the fact that, so basically the way it happens is you, you know, you have to pay over time and they use your money to do the construction. What happens is that Let's say you're the first buyer, one of the first buyers. So you, you sign your contract, you put it on payment, you give them some money. And as soon as you give them some money, they're going to start construction. As soon as they have enough, because they want to obviously maximize their returns, do it ASAP so that they can then do the next one, right? Then the problem occurs when they do that, but, and then they stop selling. They can't sell anymore. They've sold the number they could sell. And then, you know, there's too much competition, the market, whatever, you know, there's no guarantee they will sell, right? And if that happens, they might they just go bankrupt. And basically, you lose your money that you have advanced, right? So, so the, the developer is, is very important, not only who they are, but how they handle this. So then uh, I'll get to the financing in a, in a sec, but, but, but the way that I handle this, and, so, and I think everybody should do that, but they don't. Well, let's say, first of all, the developer and, and reputation thereof. So, um, so who, generally, obviously, I will deal with people who know and trust me. So basically, they don't have to trust. For all intents and purposes, I'm the developer, so they don't have to deal with somebody else. Now, of course, you know, it could be friends and family or, or it could be even people who listen to these podcasts. And, uh, but then, you know, personally, I, you know, I, ethics and, and morals and uh, reputation are at the top of my values. But pe people who don't know me well, they're not supposed to know. So, so I had the situations, you know, like, for example... There's a bit somebody on, on bigger pockets who had apparently followed me, right? For a while. And then he reached out to me and then we had a conversation. What I was doing, and then he asked, he asked me, he said, So I don't remember the exact words he used, but candidly, he asked me, So how do I know you're not a crook or something? <laughs> and, uh, and then my answer was, Good question, right? Which you should be asking. But then I, I said, let me ask you another question. Is that you're probably, you can see that, you know, I've been on bigger pockets for years, post with hundreds of posts, helping people, like, you know, well argumented posts and conversation. It, do you realize how much time that takes? Do you think a crook would do that? <laughs> Putting yourself out <laughs> so, there, you know. You know? <laughs> No, but you think you could for five, for five years, uh, you know, put, put, put some, do all this work in the hope that they can, yeah. you, you, you know. It makes sense. So, yeah, so, so that's, that's that, obviously. But, of course, if it's not me, you, you have to figure out, right? You have to kind of investigate the developer. But then even if it's me, you know, I, I don't think people should blindly trust me with their money, whoever they are, by the way. So, so, so what can be done to that? What I do is that instead of paying me, basically they pay uh, whatever they owe me in, in an escrow account. Hmm. That's controlled by a third party, like the professional companies well-established. Actually, the money is even outside of Mexico. 
And so for me to access that money, I have to prove that I have reached milestone in the project, in the construction, or I might have to present an invoice. Mm -hmm. I need to pay for this. Can I get the money, please? So I cannot just get the money and, uh, and buy a Ferrari, right? <laughs> So, so, but sadly, they don't do it because, first of all, the buyers don't know that that exists or they can do that. So they don't request it. And of course, it's, it's a hassle. But it builds confidence. And, you know, of course, if somebody tells you, oh, no, 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 I trust you. I don't need it. I say, okay, good. You know, <laughs> but, but, you know, so, so we can do that. And then, most importantly, to deal with the risk of bankruptcy, Basically, what, the way, uh, you know, I work is that, you know, I have, uh, like, databases of people have reached out to me. They say, oh, I, I would be interested in uh, buying something in Cabo or in Vallarta. Or, and so whenever I have a certain number of people in my list, I say, oh, there's enough people to do a project. So then I can create a project specifically for them, whereby... The project's already sold. The, the buyers are already there. So there's no risk of, I can't sell anymore, so I will go bankrupt. So basically, the idea is that before the buyer puts any money on the line, even to the escrow account, they already know that the whole thing is sold. And then the financing part, so that's another issue. So actually, I benefited from it. And it makes a huge difference. In, so you don't need... The good thing about... Mexico is that because if you buy the right property at the right place and do the right thing with it, you can get actually higher returns than you would get in the U.S. if you use a mortgage, believe it or not. Of course, that's not everybody and not the majority, but, right? but even if you don't get the perfect property that makes the most money, you can still get great returns even if you invest 100% in cash because the you know, the cost, the properties are much cheaper. And, and if you do short-term rentals, you can make almost as much money, if not more, right? Mm -hmm. And the costs are much lower. But then if you get the chance to leverage somewhat, you can even boost your return substantially. Plus also some, some people, they might not bother buying with cash, but they might just, not everybody has the cash lining on the, on their bank account, right? A few hundred thousand dollars or whatever it takes, right? But financing is, it becomes, there, there are some products are coming to the market, but still it's very expensive, very difficult. It's, so, so getting a normal mortgage from a bank in Mexico. So as an alternative, so I got developer financing. So, so basically I, I had to pay a certain amount, a certain percentage let's say half, and then the developer says, okay, give you a few years to pay the rest. If you do that and you have the right property and you rent it, the cash flow you're going to get is going to pay for the, the remaining 50%. So it doesn't have to come out of your pocket. Mm, okay. That was a very advantage. Unfortunately, because the word is out more and more out about Mexico, it's the developers oftentimes can't do it. They don't have the finances that allow them to do that, or they don't want to do it, or they don't have to, because they can they sell without it. And again, people, it's not common, so people are not requesting that from them. So it's tended to, it was not very common already, you know, and it's tended to disappear. So basically, I'm, I'm trying to reintroducing it. Mm -hmm. So wherever I can is that I, I, I would offer that to buyers, which would make a huge difference to them. Right. So that's sort of how you're helping these people that you meet, whether it's online or, you know, at, at, at different functions. That's sort of how you help these buyers looking to make these international real estate, you know, investments, transactions, whatever it might be. You can also tailor things to their needs if they say, like you mentioned, oh, you know, Cabo or Vallarta, I think you said, you can find a specific project. You already have the buyer in place to make that happen for whatever their end goal is. Yeah. You know, and by the way, I'm, uh, uh, you know, one of the, one thing I love to do one day is, I, I think what was really, really cool is, you know, 
having um, let, let's say imagine you have a group of friends from childhood or whatever or current friends I mean how cool would, would it be like you're you're in Los Angeles so you can get to Cabo in two and a half hours so for example how would cool would it be that you have a little development it's only you and your friends you each of them you have a house or a, or a condo and uh, so either you go together you, you you might even do events there together or whenever you go you you will bump into somebody you know mm -hmm. and there's you rent them and then you can build exactly what people want because so i i would think it would be super cool to do that for people because the uh, you know all these they do i mean they're fantastic architecture they do great projects but they're all cookie cutter right yeah. it's you take it or leave it as it is whereby i much rather give you know if if for example i'll start from the buyer like let's say i have x amount of buyers whether they're friends or not actually that it doesn't matter then i can ask them okay do you want a two bedroom one bedroom what orient and i can try to organize the whole thing that they get what they want or then say, oh, you have to have the, you know what I mean, rather than you have, oh, it's like this and you can't do anything about it. Yeah, you can customize the experience for them versus like, hey, here are the floor plans, whatever it is, you have to pick from these prefab or whatever, you know, they've, they've set in place for this project. Yes. And, and you know, and what happened with the financing bit is that, so I constantly had people ask me for help and I can give them the recipe and you, you know, oh, if I were you, I would do this or you could do this or that. But then it sometimes it came, oh, the problem is what you say is great, but I just don't have the cash lying around. And so then I asked myself, okay, how can I help these people to get around that problem? And, and that's where the idea of the development came. Because I said, well, if if I organize the development for them, if I, then I can give them finance. Got it. Okay. Yeah, because that was sort of what I was going to ask you about. You know, you mentioned the, the the lack of trustworthy individuals you could run into. You know, the, the, these people that may be out there trying to you know be nefarious um, that you've experienced firsthand. Others, you can offer that sort of protection in a way to, to shield them from those experiences. And it sounds like you've set up, you know, ways to sort of uh, impact their end goal, like I mentioned, to, to ensure that when they invest alongside you, that you're doing everything to make them feel as comfortable as possible, which is important because in things that I've done in the past too, it's like, okay, it's all stateside, but you never know when you're wiring money to some contractor. Yeah, maybe your property manager said, oh, he's a good guy, but you don't know him. You've never met him. You've never, right? You're, you're, you're taking a big leap of faith that he's going to be, hey, if he has to pull permits, he's pulling permits. Whatever, whatever the situation calls for, he's doing the right thing, and that's not always the case. So my, my question leading into that was when it comes to like local cultures, like even legal systems, market dynamics, which must might be a lot different than they are in North America. Like, sort of, how do you navigate those aspects uh, to to try to aid in in a successful investment? So I'm putting myself in the shoes of you know any investor. There, there's two two ways you can do it, and it is: to, are you going to go the do-it-yourself route? Or are you going to do it with other people? If you, because if you do the, go the do-it-yourself route, yeah, you better, obviously, you're going to hire a lawyer, but you have to make sure you have a good lawyer. You know, ideally, you would control what he, and understand what he does. So, so there, there are obviously, ideally, in ideal world, you should familiarize yourself with the legal system, if you do everything yourself, you have to, to know how to get along with the locals, you know, to, to adapt to the local culture so that you get, can get things done. Now, if you don't have the time, the knowledge or the inclination, then let's face it, most people don't, you know, it depends what you do. You know, many people, they, they just buy a condo, they don't ask themselves any questions. Most of the time they get lucky, there's no issue. 
and that's it. And they bought and they know nothing, you know. But if you want to avoid issues, if you're a serious investor and want to control risks, it's better to know what you're doing or then you work with people who, who know what they're doing and who know what you don't know and who can do things you can't do, right? And, and I, I guess that's the advantage and that's the reason why people, you know, since I started have invested with me because basically I was doing all the work and I had all the knowledge. So basically they counted on me and then they didn't need to know all these things or do all this work. So that's, uh, you know, that's an, al an alternative. So it depends on the scenario that uh, you want to follow. And you can decide, oh, I'm going to do, depending on if you, you say, oh, I want to do multiple investments in the future, you can start doing some, something with somebody else and then do it on your own if you, if you think you mm -hmm. can later on, right? Uh, yeah, like, like be the apprentice, pick up everything you can, like in any industry. And then, hey, if, if you ever feel it's time to go off on your own, you know, hopefully you're armed with enough knowledge and experience that you can continue that on your, you know, by yourself. But otherwise, it's a question you, 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 you have to find and hire the right people. Uh, if you do pre-construction, have the right developer. Man, you, if you buy a resale, you still need to make sure it's a good property. Yeah, so there's, you know, there's different, there's for everybody. The, from the person who doesn't want to know and do anything to the person who wants to be very involved. Ultimately, there's different degrees. Yeah, yeah, be as hands-on as you want. And, you know, and, and, and like, like we talked offline, I mean, that kind of into my next question of like how the, the world of, you know, Mexico contrasts with that of Europe, uh, somewhere I'm interested personally. H how does sort of the experiences there when you're, uh, buying and there's sort of unique opportunities uh, and challenges you've encountered in Europe versus in Mexico. Are they similar or vastly different? A lot of the things are, are similar because ultimately real estate is real estate. Most of it, I would assume, would be short-term rentals. That's the same concept everywhere. But of course, there are local differences. I mean, the Obviously, the main differences would be the market and the profitability you can get, right? But apart from that, I would say, like, and as a, as a general, general remarks, if you compare, for example, Mexico with Europe, and, and you were talking to me about the Italy, which would be kind of put in the same category as... Um, Spain and Portugal, because it's different from Northern Europe, right? Mm -hmm. you, you'd, which are touristic areas that have a lot, attract a lot of tourism. You could say that uh, if you don't use leverage, it's more profitable in Mexico. However, in Europe, you could potentially more easily get bank loans at better conditions than you could get in Mexico, which would, could compensate for that fully or partly. Other uh, differences, again, depending on how much you are involved, let's say something happens to the property. Uh, for us, it's much easier to jump on a plane proximity, yeah. and go to, to Mexico than, especially for you actually, than go to Europe, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> Imagine there is a little problem and you have to spend a $3,000 on, uh, on a flight to Europe, you know, like, yeah. so that would be, but, but, you know, there actually, there's a lot of people buying in both areas. They're, they're similar. And actually it's very interesting because there's obviously traditionally Americans, Canadians buy a lot in Mexico and then Northern Europeans buy a lot in Southern Europe. <laughs> but now you have actually uh, uh, cross currents, like there's more and more, like you would find more and more Americans, Canadians in, in Spain and Portugal and buying there and more and more Europeans buying in Mexico, interestingly enough, because for many places, it's actually not that complicated to get there. And nowadays, if you, you know, if you go for longer than a weekend, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's always worth it. But yeah, that, those would be, uh, main obviously legal systems are different in these things. But, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it's about replicating 
you know, and, and, and there's also the question of contacts, mm -hmm. right? It's a good thing, have the right, it makes a huge difference whether you have the right contacts or you're done. Yeah, you're the boots on the ground. Yeah, and it seems like there's a lot of a lot of people in Europe, at least that I've read. You, you've said, I believe, as well online variable rates. You're seeing more a lot in Europe. I'm not sure if that's the same in Mexico, but you do see a lot of the variable uh, mortgages going on in Europe. Yeah, you, you know, uh, I mean, in Mexico, yeah, because the 30-year mortgage, uh, you know, that exists actually in other countries, that, but it's. Generally, it's a U.S. Thing. You know, in Canada, yeah. we can't get that. Yeah, I have a lot of friends in Toronto. <laughs> in Mexico, actually, you can get both. But, but in Mexico, the, because of the, the, it doesn't, the variability doesn't make too much of a difference because the rate is high. But yeah, in, 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 in Europe, that, it can make a difference. And I know, I know certain situations where actually uh, foreigners cannot get a fixed rate. Yeah, yeah. So it it really depends on the situation, but yeah, you fix. Uh, sorry, variable rates are much more common. That's what I have, and it can be a good or a bad thing. Right. <laughs> but yeah, because there was a conversation. I was mentioning some because the rates are, are are lower in Europe versus the US. But by the way, the, the rates are lower in Canada too. But that's because they're not they're shorter, mm. and they're variable. So 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 you know the the. So I will illustrate the, 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 the difference with a concrete example in Canada, because this is exactly what's going on here. You know, we had, like you guys, we had very, very low rates two years ago. So a lot of people bought for super low rates, but your, your uh, two or more. But so your rates are fixed for 30 years. So your, ours, a lot of our, most of our rates are like for three years. So, so some people now are starting to have their mortgage payments double. Wow. So you have to be careful with these things. So it was an advantage because we could, uh, I got a mortgage as 145%, but uh, today it's like <laughs> seven or something. Or, uh, I don't know. No, yeah, so, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but. Yeah, yeah, it just, it shot up, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's, yeah. It's so you have to be aware of that. Oh, of course, of course, and, and you know, and, and and more of a broad question, like, are there sort of like, you know, I know, and everyone will ask on 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 forums and and on you know other shows and stuff, like, what are the next hot spots that people are seeing, or you know, or or even like emerging trends, like, are, are there any new regions that you personally or types of properties that you're you're finding you know promising for future investments for yourself or for clients of yours that maybe people are just sort of starting to figure out? Well, you know, assuming you're looking at a pure investment, what, what I tell people is that nobody has a crystal ball. So neither them nor me can guess what the next hotspot would be. Now, if you bought land in the Riviera Maya 40 years ago, you're a billionaire today, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, the, it was part luck. Like, you, you wouldn't know what was going to happen uh -huh. because it went from zero to hero, right? Right, right. But so if you can get, it's very tempting to buy today for a song in the next upcoming destination and all of a sudden whatever land you might have bought is going to be worth a fortune. But most often they're not, it does not happen. Sure. So it's kind of a bit of a lottery. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, if you like to play the lottery, it exists, sure. Or you might do it with a, a speculative part of your portfolio. But, you know, my advice to people is to stick to the tried and true. But, but the uh, ones that still have a runway places that still have a runway ahead of them. And before I get to that, you know, just to give you an example, I know people have been, some people have been promoting Nicaragua for the last 20 years. It was going to become the next Costa Rica. Guess what? It never happened. And actually it's gone worse. Mm -hmm. The situation got worse. I know people, they, they, they bought, 
uh, I don't know, an example, somebody bought a house for 800,000, had to sell it for not even 300 oh. to get rid of it after 20 years. Wow. What a great investment that is. <laughs> so don't speculate if you, there are places that it's very clear that they're on the up. They're very popular, but they, it's still early days, even though they've been there for a while. And uh, that's what I'm doing. I'm, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. So I come back to we were talking about Mexico, places like Cabo, Vallarta, Riviera Nahid, the whole Baja California Sur for you guys. It's incredible the way it's growing. There's more and more people are going there. There's no reason why it would stop anytime soon, it seems. So it's better to focus on those areas. And, and they are unique because the location you cannot... So if you look at Mexico, for example, you cannot, when it comes to remote working, there is no competition. They're in the right time zone. They're just below the US. Anywhere you have to go, it's more complicated. It takes more time. You cannot go back and forth that easily. So you know that it's always going to be like that, right? Mm -hmm. Unless we, we put some artificial island in the, <laughs> you know, of Los Angeles or something. Yeah. <laughs> so... Look at Europe, it's the same story. Who has the best climate? The lower cost of it's always going to be sort of Spain, Portugal, or Italy that you went to. You know, that's never going to change. So, you, so that limits the risk hugely. You know, maybe some country in Africa one day is gone, going to be a success story in terms of reason, but, uh, you know, who knows? Yeah. Crush the ball. <laughs> there is money to be made in in those places so you know unless you're the very adventurous type of course if you have a contact in uh, whatever nigeria you you know you could decide go do something there but sure. you know probably yeah i don't <laughs> um but like so would you say like you know throughout your 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 career here in real estate that you have like a personal philosophy or or, or guiding principle when it just comes to your own investments not just for other people um, especially like on an international scale, is there like a philosophy you stick by and has that ever evolved over your, your career? Well, I'd say if, if there was anything, I would say it's, uh, it's something that I apply and actually not only to, to real estate. Before I was also and I, investing uh, you know, in the stock market. I still am. And, you know, so I, 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 I borrowed... A, a saying or a philosophy from there, uh, which says there's always a bull market somewhere. So, so for those who are not familiar with the stock market, jargon bull market means a market who, that goes up, right? And that's the, I think, the advantage of international real estate and looking at it at the international level. Because a lot of people basically, and I totally understand, they say it's riskier, so I want to invest only at home, in my home country. The only thing is, it, first of all, it goes against the principle of diversification. Basically, you, you're at the mercy of your government, whether you like it or not. And, but these are other considerations. But think about today's situation with, in the real estate market and which, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're a realtor yourself, right? You are, so so you, know, you, you know this better than me. And we, we are in the U.S. and Canada, we are in exactly the, situa the same situation where prices are very high and money is not free anymore. And we have to contend with very high mortgage rates. So most investments don't work anymore. And as far as you can tell today, there is no reason why that would change anytime soon. So what do you do? And of course, there's always opportunities like that they teach you in the podcast. There are, like on bigger pockets, people find them all the time. But there's a hordes of investor and there's a few deals. And, you know, and it's always probably going to be the same people who are going to get them. But so you can get them, but you cannot count like years ago when money was free, right? And you could buy anything and it would, you know, increase in value and you would be cash flow positive. So... But there are other countries in the world, there are other parts of the world where it's different. So either you can do cash or the mortgages are not that high or this or that or 
it's cheap. The market is on the, you know, the market is not oversaturated yet. There's always opportunity somewhere. And the job of people like us is to find them. <laughs> for, for us and others. And of course, it's, it's easier said than, than done. But that's why, you know, being connected with the right people and all these websites like Bigger Pockets are also useful, right? You can get ideas, inspiration, information. You know, it's very interesting because. I mean, it's actually, it's actually a, you know, I'm just reflecting on this as I speak to you. But I've been posting on Bigger Pockets about Mexico for, I guess, the last, I would say, five, six years or something like that. At the beginning, I got actually quite a bit of sometimes vitriol telling me I was crazy. It made no sense. It's a very risky. You're going to get killed by the cartel. <laughs> this and that, and I, I that must still get that, but it's much less and less. And there's more people, you know, more people realize, uh, I guess it's because of the pandemic or everybody who wanted to escape the restrictions when make their way to Mexico and realize it's not, it, it's not that horrible country after. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, nowadays, it's almost reverse. I get there's positive message, you know, comments and, and uh, and message so it makes uh, you know it's just a question of knowing what's going on and perception before people went there they had no idea they only read the you know they only read the murder stories that they're being told about on tv you know and that was uh, that was the the only thing yeah that they knew about yeah, yeah. right it's very interesting so your perspective of a country is is going to be very different whether you have been or not, whether you know people, you know what's going on. So, you know, if you, if you care to look, the, you, you, know, you can still find uh, opportunities to make your, to put your money to work somewhere. Right. So your philosophy is uh, almost like th there might be less deals, but there's always going to be deals. And if you're going to venture out of your comfort zone or your own country, hey, g get out there, you know, see see the place in person walk around get to know the culture I, a, a great friend of mine and his wife just came back from mexico city a couple of months ago they loved it i know a lot of americans are moving down there recently rents are going up because right you're taking the american salary bringing it down there sort of like you alluded to in the beginning so it's 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 sort of immersing yourself a, a bit before you sort of pass judgment on maybe some clickbait article you read um, that was politically driven in some some way that has nothing to do with 99% of the rest of the place. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and actually you would, that, that's, uh, that's another play in this. Actually, you know, it's the same sort of people you, you, you meet there, actually, whether it's you're in Southern Europe or in, uh, especially like in the people who go there and invest and live and move there. And actually there's a lot of... Uh, uh, and there's a new market for these places. All the um, all the Americans are fed up with the politics, mm -hmm. you know, and they just want to get out. Of yeah, yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> and not hear about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. Just kind of. So you know, wh wh whichever side you're on, right? It doesn't matter. Actually, no, it doesn't, right? Just you want to enjoy your life, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you know, there, there's uh, the yeah. It's 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 interesting. So it opens your perspective. You know, sometimes you just do it as an investment and then, you know, you discover, oh, actually I might move there. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I, I need to buy a second property so I can use that one as an investment and one for myself, you know, like. Yeah. Oh, well, like your idea about having, you know, a group of friends just kind of like, let's customize exactly what we want down wherever and, and go in as partners and, and we can go down there and enjoy it together. Your families, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a great opportunity because the problem is you have to, obviously, you know, it's a great idea, but then it has, somebody has to do it, right? <laughs> so, yeah, it's got to be funded, right? Uh. So, <laughs> and, and, and obviously, yeah, and generally, obviously, developers, they do it, things for themselves and they want like big buildings and, uh, but yeah, no, they, there is, there is so much, there, there is so much opportunity and uh, it's a question of the right time, being at the right time at the right place. But again, there are places that, you know, these places we are talking about, uh, I don't know if there's a word in English, in French, we say valeur sûre. It's, it's like um, 
like uh, the, the, almost the same you say for is a store of value because you mm -hmm. know there will always be people who want to go and live there and ultimately there's not enough land for all the, those people mm -hmm. so that's almost a guarantee that you're probably going to hold its value at the bare minimum or increase in value and then people who can't buy but they're going to have to rent and you know these places you were talking about so so um actually you were talking about italy uh now i personally uh, as an investment i mean i love italy and the food as an investment i prefer spain and portugal it's much friendlier it's much less risky and also it you know italy has issues and uh, and you know the average actually um the average real estate price in italy mind you uh, up to the pandemic they had been going down for last the 15 years preceding can you be when, when the rest of the world was going up like crazy like italy was going down no that's strange and i so i was very surprised but i recently wrote that apparently it's the third destination where the wealthy and super wealthy is are buying property uh, they uh, buy in selective places of course like the l l lake of Combe or lake. you know that's kind of yeah and and uh but you know it's it's something and then basically they say they love the lifestyle there tranquility yeah but you you know very few people know that mm -hmm. yeah no uh, we had a great time i mean it's very um it's sort of the antithesis of america where you know here you live to work there they work to live it's just a different mindset and and and, and you know i've never been to portugal never been to spain i'm sure they're just as exciting and 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 sort of rewarding to to for people who are used to these sort of fast-paced work first uh lifestyles that we've been living forever here some some yeah. uh, californians say it's, it's california without the traffic and uh, probably you can say it's yeah. California without the traffic and the taxes and uh, <laughs> <laughs> so where where can people um learn more about you I know you're on bigger pockets and I'll make sure that that's in the 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 show notes but is there any other platforms that you use or are you most active there well you know the thing is uh you know I, I'm uh, I haven't been very active on social media you know it's just a question of time and priority you know i uh, i got a big request because I, I got i went there to learn first and i realized i could help people you know in, in a format even though it's six times it's easy so i you know I, I should definitely you know if i want to help more people at some point i should get into all the social media stuff and doing maybe what you do and but you know the, I, I have not yet so, so basically the mm -hmm. that's mainly where I share what I'm doing and where I help people so that's the easiest way to find me and then you can uh, um, basically if you if you go to biggerpockets.com if you put my name in you would bump into me I did the test so and alternatively just you can just send me a, a personal email I'm at my uh, gmail address so i think that these are you know what the 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 the, the easiest way and uh yeah speaking uh by the way that's that's very funny i get quite a lot of messages from uh bigger pockets on bigger pockets direct messages from members that you know have absolutely no no picture no information uh whatsoever and then you know when i because i always you know before answering a question they have, I said, okay, you know, I'll try to know what I can know about them to try to give them, right, proper advice, if that's what's needed. So I checked the, their profile and there's absolutely nothing. But I realized they just joined the same day. And, and what I realized is happening is, and especially it happens where, for example, if I, there is a post and I'm part of that and there's a lot of activity in that thread, I'll get this message because people then they Google things like uh, Mexico Tulum Plaza. Like I'm investing in Mexico, and then through a Google search, they bump into my bigger pockets profile or to a thread where I was commenting. Yeah, 
Yeah, no, I mean, I, you should get out there. You'd have some very good content with all your travels too, I think, for social media, which would be uh, very cool to see. I would love to see it. And, you know, to be completely honest, like this podcast was very selfish to me because I was like really want to learn myself and talk to you offline about this. So for me, it was very uh, informative and um, informational that uh, that I can run with and talk with you again offline uh, about how to dive more into this. So I, I, I definitely appreciate all the time you took today. I know you're traveling a lot, but I, this was much appreciated. And, you know, I would, like I say to everyone, I would love to do this again in the future and, you know, check in from time to time. If, yeah, if you ever start one, you know, continue to, you know, help each other out. But again, thank you so much for your time today. I will make sure that all of your, um, you know, e email and your uh, link on bigger pockets is in the, in the notes. And that's where people can connect with you. I highly think uh, they, they should um, to learn more like I did and hopefully everyone else did. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure. Yeah, I hope it was uh, of interest to your audience. And uh, yeah, you know, I, I try to help as much as I can. So, uh, you know, feel, don't hesitate uh, to contact me if, if there's anything you think I can help with. Or, you know. Yeah, it's all adding value. Adding value, I think, is uh, the best way to help people. And that's certainly what you did on this, this talk. So thank you again for all the time today. And uh, I ever say everyone should uh, reach out to you. You know, you have a great rest of your day and we'll, we'll talk, we'll do this again soon. Thank you, likewise. <laughs>